welcome to the Junior League of Greater Princeton Centennial Podcast, a show where we're sharing some of the most incredible, important, and memorable moments in our organization's 100-year history. Today, our topic is about the first 50 years of the Junior League from 1921 to 1971. We are going to approach this interview with an overall understanding of Trenton as a whole and hear from our sustaining members, Kathy McMahon and Sarah Hill, as they both guided this conversation and added their unique personal reflections. To understand the Junior League in its first 50-year history, it's important to understand the setting. In the late 1800s to 1900s, Trenton was made up of rapidly expanding industries, with Trenton being known for its iron and pottery works. The industry had been slow to develop until after the Civil War when new laws were passed in the late 1870s that allowed railroads to open up, thus reaching larger markets of New York City and Philadelphia. By the turn of the century, urban cities with their booming job market saw a rise in population by at least 40%. Cities like Trenton attracted factory workers. And Trenton in the late 1870s and 1900s were made up mostly of foreign-born immigrants from Ireland, Germany, Italy, and Eastern Europe. Another significant but smaller group were the 2 million African Americans who settled in the state of New Jersey during the Great Migration from 1910 to 1930. By the end of the 19th century, New Jersey was an industrial leader. But as it expanded so rapidly, issues arose quickly into safety, working environments, housing, and overall health. These societal problems segue us well into the progressive era and the rise of the Junior League of Greater Trenton. Around 1910, we see the rise of the term progressive. It was mostly made up of the business elite, female reformers trying to protect children, and social scientists who believed that through legislation, citizens could use their voice for good. Many believe the only way to make a permanent change in American cities was to serve and protect children and uplift the poorest of communities. By the 1920s, women's suffrage also became a natural corollary, with the main goal being to increase women's participation on municipal boards like state hospitals, women's clubs, and work to improve working conditions of women and children. In 1921, the Junior League of Greater Trenton was born with many of the progressive era ideals. The suffrage movement would transition into women's clubs as women began to find their power limited to women's only issues. Let's now hear from Sarah Hill about the importance of women's club at this time. Well, I think I think it's all part of the women's movement. Um, and there, there are a lot of women's clubs that were being formed in the late uh, uh, 1800s, um, and uh, one of those was the Contemporary Club in Trenton. It was a women's club, um, and most of these clubs <clears throat> did uh, did social work, but it was also a way for women to socialize. Um, women at that time that, um, I, and I'm, I'll use the word social of social stature. These were women who whose husbands had fairly prominent jobs, uh, owned companies. The women were were well-educated. Many of them had been to four-year colleges. And they had no outlet. Uh, women couldn't really work. 
and the husbands uh, didn't want them to work. They wanted them to stay home and take care of their children, uh, educate them, um, and and these women really they had no outlet. Uh, they had nothing uh, to to expand their minds. So a lot of these social clubs began cropping up. Um, I mentioned the Contemporary Club, and I believe that was started in around 1890. It's still in existence. It has a clubhouse down on West State Street across from the, the Capitol. Um, and then uh, in Princeton, there was the present day club and that was formed um, in, in, the, uh, uh, in the 1800s, um, I had a date here. 1898 mm -hmm. and that was a social club and it still is in existence today it has a clubhouse um, on uh, Stockton Street and it still has members uh, who gather for a luncheon uh, once a week and a speaker the junior league was a little late to get into the game because they didn't get organized um, at least in Trenton until uh, 1920 21. The, the idea came from uh, the, the uh, woman who was head of the uh, uh, Contemporary Club to a meeting in New York, Mrs. Serson, John R. Serson, and she came back and said, this is a great idea for young women um, to, to get involved in social service work. And that's how it started, and Helen Green uh, was the one who, who offered her home uh, for that meeting. Now, her home was on West State Street in Trenton. It was right next to, to the, um, the state capitol. Mm -hmm. Where the museum and, is. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was torn down in the 60s. Uh, mm -hmm. There were a number of beautiful old homes along there that had ballrooms. Mm -hmm. and oh, wow. They were just very elegant. And they were all torn down in the 60s to build the state uh, library and the state museum. So they're gone. Okay. Uh, but that's where, that's where they all met, these 25 women, young women. Um, and I believe the contemporary was more older women. Um, they, when I was growing up, I grew up in Trenton. Mm -hmm. And so when I was growing up, the Contemporary Club sponsored a lot of activities for younger people. Uh, so my impression is that they were older women, mm -hmm. uh, and whereas the Junior League was for young women. Uh, so that's how, that's how they, that all got started. That's awesome. And do you think that they started it more so for a social club that would do philanthropy or they were looking for a way to do philanthropy that caused a social club? I think it was a combination of both. Uh, you have to remember at that time, there were not many uh, organizations that were uh, social service organizations. Mm -hmm. Most of those didn't come in until uh, the 1930s during the depression. So I think it was kind of, it was a combination of wanting to fill that void uh, with social service work and helping their communities, uh, as well as an, an outlet to get together and as women do and talk and socialize and, you know, solve, solve problems. There were many different 
organizations that were started by the Junior League. Um, and some lasted and some didn't. And the idea was to to get it started, to use the, the league people as the organizers, get it started, and then turn it over to another agency. And they did that. They wanted uh, signature projects. Um, they researched um, researched the needs. Um, they set up the project. They ran it for two or three, four years, and then they turned it over to another agency to run. The Junior League helped women and children, especially through the tumultuous times of the Great Depression, on through the outbreak of World War II. During the Great Depression, social welfare programs were hit the hardest. The government at the time was set up so that social services were funded by local governments, and local governments were funded by local taxes. During the Great Depression, as many as one-third of the population in Trenton could not pay their taxes and would lose their homes. Social welfare programs suffered. The Junior League rose to the need of children through numerous organizations such as the Children's Shelter, the American Red Cross, and the Boys Club, which we now know as the Boys and Girls Club of America. They funded these charities, hospitals, libraries, through dances, reviews, rummage sales, and follies. The Great Depression ended as the industrial needs of World War II grew and unemployment and the economy stabilized. In 1947, the Junior League opened what was called the Bargain Box. It sold used clothes and household items at a low cost, and it was open for 24 years. It was the league's major fundraiser, contributing about $12,000 per year for community projects. The bargain box was, was what I call a hybrid because it was a moneymaker, but it also served a very important need because back at <clears throat> when it was started, there were a lot of poor people that had no decent clothing for their children. Mm. And that was, uh, you know, why uh, there we all had a... Uh, uh, quota. Uh, we had to, to work a certain number of hours there, and we also had to give a certain amount of clothing. Hmm. Um, and it was basically a lot of it was children's clothing because we all had like young children. Is there a fundraiser that you think was the most successful um, over the last, you know, in the first half of the Junior League um, that? was kind of your big money maker and then where did the money go like that they raised okay well they they had they had different fundraisers they in the 40s a lot of the early fundraisers mostly uh dinner dances okay and they would they would charge uh and you would go and have dinner and dancing and that would be the, the fundraiser who would come to the i'm sorry to interrupt but who would come to those dinner dances would it be mainly people from the junior league or from the town of trenton or uh, it could be both yeah. um you know it could be both uh it, it it was basically the junior league people but you know they had friends come and mm -hmm. um you know family and then so it but it wasn't it wasn't an, an invitation to everybody it was it was it was closed mm -hmm. uh, event <laughs> and um so they they had those, and then they got into uh, in the forties. They got into the follies, and those were uh, 
shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were extravaganzas that were, they had a person come down from New York City to, to choreograph and work with them. Uh, and my husband, before he married, got married, he, he was he was recruited to be in one of their chorus lines. So, <laughs> you know, they, they used all, everybody they could. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was fun. And they, they had parties. And uh, so that, that was very popular uh, during the 40s and 50s. I think the last one may have been around 1960. Um, when did you enter, Sarah, into the Junior League? What year? Yeah. I, I, uh, <clears throat> I joined in 1965. And actually, I joined, I was living in New York at the time mm-hmm. and working in New York. And <clears throat> I was engaged to marry my husband, who, who was an attorney in Trenton. And so... And I had lived in, my parents lived in Trenton. They still, you know, they did at that time. Mm -hmm. So I knew when I got the invitation to join, um, I had the choice of joining in New York and then transferring down to Trenton. Um, But, or putting it off for a year and then um, being a provisional the following year. Mm -hmm. And everybody said, oh, you can't turn it down. If you turn it down, they won't ask you again. I didn't know this, Sarah. So, wait, you got an invitation to join. Who would who would oh, give yes. you the invitation? I need to know all about this. So, oh, who would give you an invitation? Like, is it kind of like a, a I'm imagining it to be very regal and um, elite, you know, oh, it was, oh, it was so very difficult to join. You were, um, you, you, the, there was an admission committee oh, wow. and they had, uh, <laughs> they had a box and it had white, little white marbles and little black marbles. No way. Oh, it did. (laughs) And the reason I know this is because uh, after I joined it two years later, they wanted some of the, quote, younger people on the admissions committee because it was all the older women. Mm -hmm. And so I was asked to be on the admissions committee. So the first meeting I went to and they had, you know, this, these lists of people and, oh my gosh, it was, you know, they had a, a curriculum vitae, you know, <gasps> what they'd done and where they'd been to school and who they knew and you had to be sponsored and you had to have these letters and it was very difficult. And then everybody was, every, you, you, you picked up the balls and you put them in the box. And if you had two, I think it was two black balls. That's where the term comes from, black balls. No way. (gasps) I didn't know that. It it really was. I came home and I said to my husband, this is how society's changed. I said, this is so ridiculous. I said, why why are they doing this? You know, these, all these people, you know, are, are well qualified. Why don't they just let them in, you know, let them come and join. They want to join. Huh? And, and that was just, it was, it was a big change. It was just the social, the social part of it. And of course, mm-hmm. as time, uh, that was about, that was the end of it in the sixties, I think the late sixties. And um, what were some of the qualifications that someone would need to get a white ball 
And what would be something that would give them a black ball? Well, it, it, the white ball would be if they were accepted, you mm-hmm. know, for whatever reasons. Uh, it was usually, people were usually accepted if they knew somebody in mm-hmm. the league. You know, they had to know people. They had to, people had to know their husband or their husband had to be known. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was not just the woman particularly. Uh, great emphasis on where they went to school you know, where they went to college. Uh, and it was kind of gossipy, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if anything, you know, if they've been promiscuous sure. <laughs> or, sure, sure. you know, that kind of thing. Um, right a, married a couple times or whatever, uh-huh. you know, that, that was kind of what it was. Um, you know, it's so different today because if you want to join, you can join, which I think is, is the is a fair way, mm-hmm. but uh, and you know who knows whether some of the, some of the some of the women that were joining, uh, you know, they she really didn't even want to join, but they were, you know, their parents wanted them to join because mm-hmm. it was socially, it was it was really something. If you were a member of the junior league, you know, that was that was really. Would you special. be able to join if you were not married? Is there like an age cutoff? For the, would it be you're entering in society, therefore you would join the junior league, or it was you are already in society, therefore you would join the junior league? I think it was both. Yeah, I think it was both. Uh, you know, a lot was if your parent, if your mother was a member, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you had a leg up uh, to get in. Uh, if you had friends that were joining, uh, that was another positive thing. Um, and uh, there were marriage really didn't have anything to do with it. There were a lot of uh, maiden ladies mm-hmm. that were in. A lot of them were, you know, there were a lot of a lot of women who lost um, husbands and and fiancés during World War Two mm-hmm. and just never married. There, you know, that their, their time there just weren't the men around. Sure. Uh, so so there were quite a few. Um, women who had never been married uh, in the in the league, um, but you know they they had to have some source source of income because you know if you weren't married and you you weren't a widow or didn't have money you you had to work as a secretary or you know um, clerk of some kind, right? Uh, teacher, teacher, nurse, you know things like that. In the next part of this podcast, Sarah and I are going to be discussing how the Junior League of Greater Trenton changed to the Junior League of Greater Princeton. In order to understand that, it's best to understand what happened to Trenton, New Jersey, and New Jersey overall from 1940s to the 1960s. So in the 1940s, after World War II, New Jersey was really changed, so much so that Women used to go to college for the most popular major before 1944, and it was home economics. But after being involved in factories and being involved in manufacturing for World War II, women started to enroll in universities for chemistry and, and really start searching for jobs for themselves. 
Um, by the late 1940s in post-war New Jersey, there was an enormous prosperity and it created and expanded a middle class. In the 1950s and 60s, New Jersey is densely populated. Um, it would become the most suburban state by the end of the 1960s. The 1850s to 1950s in New Jersey, the majority of people and jobs were concentrated in their industrial cities, with Trenton being one of those cities. Um, banks, retail, entertainment, all sorts of things were in the city and remained in the city. Trenton was a leader in rubber, pottery, and metal, and 38% of its citizens found employment in factories, and most people preferred to live in the cities. After the major boom of World War II, the government was shifting their focus to what would be known as a consumer industry to avoid going into a depression once the demand for military needs shifted. The government started to look into building new homes, new appliances, furnishing, family cars, and while there was no more room in overcrowded cities, there was plenty of room in what we now call the suburbs. But not all opportunities were open to all. Home loans to spur development were given to white and middle class people while the government appraised and discouraged loans in racially diverse areas and the practice of redlining did not allow loans to um, be allowed in diverse communities. Many cities held their own until the late 1950s and early 1960s, but manufacturing started to decline. In Trenton, the Roebling steel mill, the rubber, the pottery industries all left. As simultaneously with the loss of industry, Trenton soon lost about one-fifth of its population to the suburbs. By the 1960s, New Jersey would be known as a suburban state. As people left, so did industries. When investment went elsewhere, land and property values dropped in Trenton, and cities tried to get funding for what was now known as urban renewal. This led to major riots. Uh, the cities failed to improve uh, the schools, public safety, streets deteriorated, and there was a lack of local and federal funding. When does Trenton start changing over, and when does the Junior League decide to make the Junior League of Princeton and relocate? Are those okay. connected? Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, Trenton's really started to decline in the late 50s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it was, part of it was that um, Trenton, Trenton, the families in Trenton uh, basically owned companies. Mm -hmm. um, that was the main, you know, there were a lot of industrial companies in Trenton. And in the late 50s, um, the, the owners of the companies had, who had really formed the companies and, and been the, the, the uh, had 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 them from the beginning, they started to die, and the tax situation was so terrible. <coughs> excuse me. That that uh, they couldn't pay the inheritance taxes. Some of them were like seventy percent. Wow. Cost. 
it was it was very very bad so they had really no choice they had to sell the companies uh to in order to pay the the taxes mm -hmm. inherent taxes and so the companies bought the that bought the the Trenton companies were from all over the country mm -hmm. and so that started an, a mass exodus uh out of Trenton and of course then you had the labor pool nobody had jobs mm -hmm. because the jobs were, were disappearing and um and it was just one of these slow spiral kind of effects and then of course with the Martin Luther King shooting in 1968 and all the riots um, that they really, <clears throat> a lot of uh, Trenton was burned at that time. Uh, it, all of these cities, um, they really had a tough time. Uh, you know, I remember growing up, Princeton was nothing. Princeton was just well, Trenton was, oh, Trenton really? was beautiful. Nothing town, you know, sure. uh, I mean, it was a college town. It had no stores really. Um, it, it catered to the students. It had, you know, a lot of places where you could go and get sweaters or, you know, mm -hmm. college kids' clothes. Um, <clears throat> had some, some, you know, places that served hamburgers and stuff. That was about it. It's and so interesting because the decline of Trenton. Yeah, Princeton just picked it all, picked up all. Oh, Everybody wow. moved to Princeton. Everybody from Trenton moved to Princeton. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I feel like we see it through such different lens, right? Like I would never think that about Trenton because I've just moved here in the last 10 years. So you see it with these different glasses on, right? You see Princeton, you think it's been there and like that for so long. I had no idea that it was. How would you have described Princeton, uh, you know, when you were a child, you know, was it somewhere would have beautiful stores and nice building? Is, is that what it looked like back then? Trenton, you mean? Or yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Trenton. Oh, it was wonderful. And there used to be all these wonderful little ethnic places where you could get Chinese food or Indian mm -hmm. food. It was, <clears throat> it was fun. Uh, they had the School of Industrial Arts, which was is now... Um, uh, Edison State College. Mm -hmm. Yep. They had Saturday classes, free classes. I don't think we paid for them. I think they were free. Free classes every Saturday. Um, you could take art, uh, uh, all, all sorts of different things, um, uh, mainly using your hands, you know, mm -hmm. painting and, and sculpture and there were boys there, I know, because I, they may have done some something with with uh, you know science projects. And, <clears throat> but every but, you know that was a great. That's why everybody knew everybody. Because yeah. you you would go to Trenton. We go to there. The there were five or six movie houses in Trenton. Well, yeah, you just don't think. I I honestly didn't see it through those lenses for, and I'll have to look at it a little bit differently. Had, uh, the women's yeah. stores were, were elegant, elegant yeah. women's stores. People from Princeton would come to Trenton. That was sure. not, un, that was, uh, you know, it was the capital. And people came down from Princeton to do their shopping in Trenton. Um, hmm. uh, and because there were no stores in Princeton. I never went to Princeton, to be honest with you. I never set foot in the town until I was probably... 15 or 16 and then I would go up there because they had they had nice 
yeah, kind of college-like clothes, and then you could meet boys, too. I mean, that was <laughs> kind of the thing. Right. You could go and <laughs> meet those Princeton freshman boys, you know. But uh, aside from that, uh, I never, nobody ever thought of going to Princeton. In the next part of this podcast, we're going to talk about the 1968 um, riots in Trenton. And in order to understand them a little bit better, I went into the Evening Times and the Trentonian to find out what exactly had happened. Um, What was said that was that African Americans were angry about being um, forced into ghettos and inferior schools and about being denied jobs in a city that had a ton of factories. But most of all, it was the assassination of Reverend Martin Luther King. Uh, The riots happened in April of 1968. Uh, The rage of the killing of Reverend Martin Luther King spilled into the streets. um, And it was said it spilled into the streets like blood of an open artery. Burning... Buildings uh, were burned and looted and stores were damaged. Dozens of residents, officers, and firefighters were injured and 108 people were arrested. Uh, 37 of them were young people. Um, One 19-year-old black college student uh, lay dead. Um, Doug Palmer, who was the city's first African-American mayor, was interviewed. Um, He said that even before the riots, residents could feel the effects of a city with African-American migrants escaping the Deep South. Everyone could feel that there was change coming. It was social and economic, and one could see it and feel it. He recalled how Jewish kids in his junior high school and neighbors in his Edgewood Avenue did not make the trip to Trenton Central High School, and many went to private schools in Princeton instead. Um, When people started researching what happened in Trenton in the spring of 1968, it was more of an uprising than a riot, and there are still echoes from the past that are heard today. Um, It was a group of young folks, students in particular, who did the majority of the organizing and demonstrating 50 years ago. Uh, Trenton High School students um, made articulate demands in hopes of eliminating discrimination. High school students and young people were marching in organized protest, and the media tended to look at its unbridled rage, and no doubt there was rage, and there should have been, but we see in cities like Trenton in the case of organized force of high schoolers and young people. The Trenton riots are still talked about today and are looked at at two very different viewpoints. Historian Charles Webster puts it simply that the riots killed Trenton. Many people believe that the racial strife in that spring turned Trenton's fancy downtown district with jewelry and clothing stores into a ghost town. More than 200 downtown businesses were ransacked and burned during this week. More than 200 downtown Trenton businesses were ransacked. 300 people arrested. The losses to downtown businesses were put at $7 million, and any plans to rebuild downtown were thwarted by insurance companies that dropped business coverage within the hours of the chaos. Scarred are the minds of merchants, cops, police officers, and rioters at that time. 
I think the riots of 1968 uh, really hurt the league's involvement in the city of Trenton. And that really, I think, it, I think that really did it for the league. Um, I, they just didn't, didn't want to um, continue. There was a very bad experience that some of the members had going to children's theater uh, in 1968, uh, they, uh, the children's theater program was, was a big part of the league and they put on, um, our members put on these shows for children and they really were concentrating on Trenton because that's where the need was. Um, and they would have been better off just to have called it Trenton, Princeton, or the greater Trenton area or something mm -hmm. like that. But <clears throat> they ended up with that crazy name, the Junior League of the Central Delaware Valley. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't and, sound like New Jersey <laughs> at that point. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. It was awful because um, it, it just it didn't, it didn't relate to anything. And sure. uh, people then said, well, is this a league in, in Delaware, you know? <laughs> so so they had that for a while, and then uh, I think they finally changed the junior league. Of, I, I, it's a greater Princeton now. They were traveling uh, to go to one of these shows in, at one of the Trenton schools and uh, were attacked by a bunch of teenagers. Oh, wow. And... and um, and they were, it, it was terrifying uh, for them. Mm, and yeah. that, so that was the end. Uh, you know, they, they said, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't do this anymore. So is, did the Junior League then move with all the people who left Trenton and moved to Princeton? Is that the, kind of the timeline of what happened? Yeah, well, it was, the, the league was, was, it, Early on, it was all Trenton people, basically. Some Princeton, but basically. But then the suburbs just grew mm -hmm. in, in the 60s. And I remember we had uh, we had a lot of people from Yardley and Marsville. Uh, not a lot from Princeton, to be honest with you, in those days. Um, I, I don't know why, except I think Princeton had a lot of social service organizations mm -hmm. itself, you know. Um, but it, it really was basically Bucks County and Trenton. Uh, that was where most of the members were from. And so it was very contentious in, in the early seventies. Um, they decided they wanted to change the name because, you know, they, Trenton just had gotten this terrible reputation after the riots. And nobody wanted to go there. Nobody wanted to be associated with it. And they had a very contentious meeting where they voted to change the name from the Junior League of Trenton. And they couldn't figure out a name. They were so uh, upset that they were changing the name because most of these people had been there mm -hmm. and had lived in Trenton. And they were very upset because it had had a long association with the city. And the city was the capital. Mm -hmm. But nobody lived in Trenton anymore. You know, most of the league members lived in Ewing or, you know, Princeton or Morrisville Yardley. Nobody really lived in Trenton. And a lot of people 
left. I have one last question and then I promise I'll finish. Um, how do you think the founders and the early chapter of um, the Junior League would view the chapter as it is today? I don't know whether they would understand it. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest with you, I just, I think the social system was so different in the 20s. It was just so different. Um, I don't think they would understand why why you would not have an admissions committee, mm -hmm. you know, why why anyone could join, you know. It would it would it was it, there's just been so many changes socially. Um you know, even racially, um you know, they would not have understood a person of color joining the, the league. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean that in a in a negative way, um, but I mean, we all have to look at history from what was acceptable during sure. that time. And it wasn't that they may not have wanted it, but it just wasn't the thing to do, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I think if they had to sit back and think about it, they probably would be, I mean, I'm very happy personally to mm -hmm. see to see this openness because I always felt very badly that there were people turned down that would have been terrific members of, of, of the junior league, but you were always held down by the, the older women who had grown up in a different time. Sure. And, you know, I think we all have to understand that. Um, so I think if they, I don't think they would, I think if they looked at it from their point of view, when they were junior league members, they wouldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. But I think the, I think most of them that have, you know, grown up through the ages, so to speak, um, are, are very happy um, that, that the league is, is more inclusive. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, it's a great thing. I think it still serves a, a great purpose today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Junior League of Greater Princeton Centennial Podcast. The Junior League of Greater Princeton is an organization of women committed to promoting volunteerism, developing the potential of women, and improving communities through effective action and leadership of trained volunteers. Its purpose is exclusively educational and charitable. We value community. It is the heart of all we do. Volunteerism, the way we make a difference in our communities. Leadership the development of individual potential and the collective power of women as leaders. Collaboration, 
the relationships we develop within our organization and through service with others, and respect for our members' time, energy, and well-being. Since its founding in 1921, the Junior League of Greater Princeton has been an organization of women bringing people and needs together. We welcome all women over the age of 21 who demonstrate a commitment to volunteerism, regardless of race, religion, or national origin. Currently, there are nearly 250 active, provisional, and sustaining members from Mercer, Middlesex, and Bucks counties and the surrounding areas. The Junior League of Greater Princeton is part of the Association of Junior Leagues International, which includes 292 leagues in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and Great Britain. For more information about what we do in the organization or how to get involved, visit www.jlgp.org.